be found in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, and the page number for this passage is 1,269, and the Bible is found under the pew. It reads, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Thank you. As we can, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> As we continue on with this passage that we have been looking at the last few weeks, we come to a portion in which Paul is now viewing his death, which is quite imminent. It says in verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. Paul views his death as taking a trip could say that his ship is about ready to sail. That's actually the word for to part. He sees himself as, as embarking on a new journey, a new journey with the Lord. He is looking forward to and says in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, and not to me only, but to all them that love is appearing. We're not going to look at that verse this morning. We're going to save that for next week. And uh, just look at that in some detail. But we're going to focus on his assessment of his life. Paul says, for I have fought a good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. As Paul looks at life, he sees that uh, death is but an entrance into the presence of God. This past few weeks we've been hearing a lot about Billy Graham and a statement that Billy Graham had made. Someday you will hear or hear that Billy Graham is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? I should be more alive than I am now. I will have just changed my address. I will have gone into the presence of God. Uh, Billy Graham said that often. He wasn't the first to say it. Actually, uh, Dwight L. Moody uh, was uh, the first to say that exact phrase, and all the way back to the Apostle Paul, we can look at those that have anticipated 
that uh, death is but an entrance into the presence of God and a continuation of life. But Paul uses this opportunity to cause Timothy to reflect upon the things that Paul had charged Timothy with and to demonstrate that Paul had indeed lived his life consistent with what he, with what he taught and preached. He had fought a good fight. He had finished his course. He had kept the faith. Paul's life had been one of continued sacrifice. If you look at verse 3, it says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Uh, he has not yet died, but he's already in process of giving his life for the purpose and work of God. Paul viewed himself as a living sacrifice from the time in which he met Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul had called the Romans, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he said to, um, I, uh, therefore, by the mercies of God, present your lives wholly acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Paul had presented his life to the Lord. Paul could say to the Philippians, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And in the book of Philippians, Paul is anticipating his release from imprisonment. But here, in 2 Timothy, Paul is anticipating that this imprisonment is going to end in death. In death. And he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering for my time of departure is at hand. Now Paul reflects upon his life. And as he does, it's rather interesting as to his take upon his own life. What he emphasizes is the manner in which he had lived that life as opposed to what he had accomplished or done. The Apostle Paul could have, if he so chose, to have emphasized many of the accomplishments that were wrought by God through Paul. Uh, there is no mention in the scriptures the number of sermons that Paul preached. We don't know how many miles he traveled. We don't know how many people heard the gospel from the lips of the Apostle Paul. Numbers are absent in the Word of God as it comes to, to Paul's life. Now we know about the shipwrecks and some of the hardships and difficulties that he faced, it, but these particular accomplishments we are not told. But rather, what is emphasized is the manner in which he lived his life. A life that could be characterized as faithfulness. And so this morning we want to learn lessons from this faithful life of the Apostle Paul, looking at each one of these three assertions that Paul makes concerning his life. The first, Paul had lived a life with purpose. He had lived his life in a manner which is not easy, 
but is tremendously worthwhile and rewarding. Notice verse 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. As Paul looks at his life, and in particular his life of ministry, he characterizes it as being involved in a good fight, meaning that which is appropriate, worthwhile, meaningful, important. Of all the causes that one could take on, of all the activities that one could engage in, in all of the efforts that one could dedicate their life for, Paul says, I have chosen the good fight. I have chosen what is the most appropriate, the most valuable, the most meaningful, the most useful way in which I could have lived my life. He had dedicated his life to the Lord's work. It's tragic when people approach the end of their lives and as they look back upon their lives, they view them as having wasted their lives, having wasted their lives. Uh, I am always brought up short when I open the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy opens with a simple statement that it's a uh, six-day journey to the promised land, and they managed to do it in 40 years. They had wandered. They had aimlessly uh, wasted their lives, and many of them died in the wilderness. You know, we can waste our lives on very meaningless pursuits, and when we get to the end of those lives, they are filled with regrets. We wish that we had done things differently. We wish we would engaged in more important endeavors. Paul says, I have fought a good fight, one that was worthwhile. Not only at one's end of life, but even in times of midlife. We hear about a midlife crisis. That is when people all of a sudden stop and ask them themselves the question, why am I working so hard? Why am I doing all of this? What does my life really mean? What is it accounting for? I remember my brother one day calling me uh, on uh, the phone, and he was uh, turning 40, and he said to me, you know, he said, I'm in a maintenance mode. He said, I'm just maintaining everything that I've worked for. He didn't really have much more purpose in life. He didn't see much value in what he was doing. And he, like many, changed careers. We need to be aware of how we are living our lives. He said he chose a good fight. But not only did he choose a good fight, Paul said that he described that course of life as a fight. He said, I have fought a good fight. That as he viewed his Christian life, the odd word that he chooses to describe the 
fervor, the dedication, the commitment to that Christian life is a fight. Now that doesn't mean that Paul had a chip on his shoulder and he was always cantankerous and engaging in verbal warfare and combat with others. But rather, Paul is talking about a struggle that went on in his life for the, endure for the entirety of that life. It was a struggle. It was a fight for Paul to live the life that God had called him to live. It wasn't easy. It wasn't a life for wimps. It wasn't a breeze. He refers to it as a fight. He had to fight his own sinful desires. He had to fight against those that would oppose the gospel and try to silence him through imprisonments and persecutions and hardships. He had to fight against the evil one who wanted to subdue him, who wanted to bring him into bondage and engage in sexual activities that would have disqualified Paul from service. I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Excuse me. 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. For these are Paul's words to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, reading at verse 3. 1 Timothy 6, 3. If anyone teaches a different <coughs> excuse me. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now notice carefully, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through the, this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. And now notice this, fight the good fight of faith. When Paul says, I have fought the good fight, here we have revealed to us exactly what he had in mind. He said that I have fought the good fight. I have pursued righteousness. I have pursued godliness. I have pursued faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. And in order to do that, 
I had to flee from impurity. I had to disregard the love of money. I had to disregard the effects of other people upon my life. I needed to remain committed to this course of action that I have taken. Paul says, I have fought a good fight. It's important for us to realize that the Bible indeed does characterize the Christian life as one of struggle. One of struggle. It requires a great deal of discipline if one is going to achieve what God has called them to achieve. It isn't just going to happen. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and says this. He says, bodily exercise profits little. That's my life verse. <clears throat> bodily exercise profits little. Well, actually, there's a lot of benefit to bodily exercise, but uh, Paul goes on to say, but exercise thyself rather unto godliness, for it has benefit not only for this life, but for the life to come. Bodily exercise profits little because it's only beneficial for this life. It does have benefit. It does keep you healthy. It does keep you strong. And enables you to minister and, and use your strength. So I'm being facetious. Exercise is a good thing. But it's not going to benefit your eternal body. It's not going to make a difference in the life to come. But he says, exercise yourself unto godliness. And that's going to have benefit here and now. And it's also going to have benefit later and then. It's going to have its reward. So Paul says, use that discipline that's necessary for bodily exercise. Use that, that discipline that is necessary. In 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the example of a boxer. And he says that he does not fight the air, but he brings his body under control, under subjection. So Paul is fighting, wrestling against, if you will, that which is from within and without anything that would keep him from accomplishing God's purpose for his life. The second imagery that Paul uses to describe his Christian walk is that he says, I have finished the race. I have finished the race, verse 7. I have finished the race. The race that is used here is a marathon. A marathon. It's helpful, once again, to realize that the Christian life is not a sprint. It is a marathon. What is being emphasized is the endurance that is necessary to finish the race. The emphasis is on endurance. Look at verse 5, 2 Timothy 4, 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Endure suffering. Demonstrate endurance under suffering, under hardship. A marathon 
runner has to endure suffering, has to endure the side stitches, often has to endure shin splints. If you are a runner and you've ever run a much macadam ever, you, are, you know what it ha- is to have uh, shin splints. You know about bone spurs. You know about the various physical struggles that one goes through if they're going to continue on and actually complete a marathon. Your lungs burn. Your legs ache. Your arms grow weary. In the book of Hebrews, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us decide to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Don't throw in the towel. Don't quit under adversity and hardship and difficulty. Continue to persevere. Each child of God has their own race to run. In Hebrews 12, it says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And the emphasis there is on the particular race that you are running. Each one of us has our own race to run, our own life to live. When you think about a marathon, there are certain things that all marathons have in common. One of them is the length. The length of a marathon is 26 miles and 385 yards. Now, how they ever came up with that, I didn't bother to do the research. But it's, it's um, 26 miles and 385 yards. That is a commonality for marathons. But no two marathons are alike. The Boston Marathon is not like other marathons. Every marathon is unique in the way in which the course is laid out. Some are hillier than others. Some have hills in the beginning. Some have hills in the end. Some have cobblestones. Some run on dirt. Some run in shade. Some run in bright sunlight. Some run in very hot climates. Some run in cooler climates. They are all different, but they all require endurance. They're all different, but they all require perseverance. They are all different, but they all require our energies to the fullest. The scripture encourages us to complete the race that we have been given to run. In the book of Acts, John the Baptist is approaching his death. And I'd just like you to listen to the way in which 
the end of John the Baptist's ministry is described. Acts 13, 25. And as John was finishing his course, he said, who do you suppose that I am? As John the Baptist was finishing his course, as John the Baptist was finishing his race, as John the Baptist was winding up his ministry, John the Baptist is soon going to be put in prison. He's soon going to be beheaded. And it is telling us that as, as this ministry of, of John the Baptist is winding down, as he sees the finish line in sight, these are the words that John the Baptist had for the people. I'm not going to look at those words. The point is, John the Baptist saw the end of his ministry in sight. His race was about done. Paul said, I have finished the race. The emphasis is on completion. Not that I have participated, not that I have entered, but that I have, I have finished the race. There's a certain amount of glory that comes by entering a race. Some people like to, to boast on the fact that perhaps they're going to run the Boston Marathon. And uh, it requires a particular time that you have run in some other event that you qualify. So it is a big deal to qualify for the Boston Marathon. It is praiseworthy to enter the marathon. But it's a whole other issue to have completed it. And we are not to boast of having entered this Christian race, of having taken responsibilities and duties. The issue is not how well we have gotten off the start line, how well we've sprinted, but the question is, how are we finishing? Where are we at the end of our life? What will we have accomplished when it is all said and done? Can we look back and say, that I have achieved the purpose for which God has saved me. Jesus, when he hung upon the cross, said those important words. It is finished. Jesus had accomplished the purpose for which God had sent him into this world. Paul could look with confidence and say, I have completed the task for which God has saved me. What a wonderful proclamation. What a tremendous confidence. I have done what God had called me to do. And so now Paul is urging Timothy to be faithful and to complete the task that God has given him to do. Paul had kept the faith. Notice the third one in 2 Timothy 4.7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the race. And now this, I have kept the faith. And while there are 
similarities to all three of these. There are different emphases. Now the image changes. And Paul talks about keeping the faith. The faith is the body of truth that has been entrusted to Paul. And now that body of truth is being entrusted to Timothy for safekeeping. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6 again, if you would. 1 Timothy chapter 6. The idea of this word to keep, to keep the faith, is to preserve, to protect, to guard. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, Paul writes to Timothy, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. They have swerved from the faith. They have departed from the faith. They have moved away from the faith. Now turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Very similar admonition. 2 Timothy chapter 2, reading verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, looking at this day of judgment that is coming. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene, among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved or departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some. They have deviated from the truth. They have departed from the faith. They have corrupted the truth of God's word. In 1 Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you Avoid the irreverent brabble and contradictions, what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, that is knowledge, some have swerved from the faith. Paul said, I have guarded, I have kept the faith. I have not contaminated this faith. I have not left it. I have not corrupted it. I have not changed it. The way it was handed to me I am now handing it to you. I have preserved it. I have kept it. Things don't change in our day. One of the great temptations in altering the truth of God's word is a desire to appear to be wise or learned or an intellectual. There are many many academicians who find fault with the word of God. 
And if you want to gain a certain notoriety, if you want to obtain a certain level of academic esteem, in our culture one must almost question the authority of the scriptures. Question the miracles. Question the virgin birth. One is viewed as ignorant, unlearned, uninformed, unknowledgeable, perhaps even foolish, for believing some of the things that the Bible teaches. Paul says, I've kept the faith. I've held on to this truth. I haven't changed a word of it. I haven't altered what it says. Why is that so important? Because Paul is now handing this faith over to Timothy. Let's take a quick look through 2 Timothy. Let us start with 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you turn there. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now the imagery changes. I'd like you to think about a different kind of race. No longer a marathon, but now a relay race. And I would like you to think about the faith as the baton. And it is absolutely necessary that when the runner completes the race, he's got a baton in his hand. Doesn't matter if at the end, he has crossed the finish line. If he doesn't have the baton, it's been for naught. Paul says, not only have I kept, not only have I finished the course, but I've kept the baton. He talks about the faith that first dwelt in the forefathers in chapter one. Now he talks about this, this deposit that's been handed to Timothy. The baton in chapter 1, verse 13. Now, go to chapter 2, verse 1. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men. So, what you have heard from me, this baton of faith I've given to you. Now he says to Timothy, now you take that and entrust it to faithful men. And then notice the end of verse 2. 2 Timothy 2, 2. Ending verse. Who will be able to teach others also? Who are going to pass that baton on to still another generation? Paul says, I've kept the faith. The baton is being passed. And of course, in this passage, 
it's being passed to Timothy, who then is to pass it on to still others. To keep the faith, though, is more than just holding on to doctrinal truth. It also speaks of a life of character that's lived in keeping with that faith. It's, it's talking about living out what that very faith expresses. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 12. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in life, love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Keep watch on yourself and your teaching. Guard your conduct and this faith. Earlier in 2 Timothy Paul says, a person does not receive the crown unless he strives lawfully. You have to compete according to the rules of the race. You can't just wander on and off the course and then cross the finish line and say, I've completed the task. No, you've got to run the race by the rules. So when Paul comes to the end of his life, he could say, I've got the baton. I've kept the faith. I ran the course as was laid out. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a, a crown of righteousness. We're going to look at that next week. But he lived a life consistent with the teaching that he had given to Timothy, and to others. So what are we to learn from this? Well, simply that, that we are to live this kind of life. Remembering that each of us has our own race. Each of us has our own duties, our own responsibilities. Each of us has our own calling as to what God would have us to do. I remind you of that verse. I use it often. But for, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. God had a purpose in saving you. He had a purpose in saving me. While there is commonality in purpose, to bring glory to God, to take the gospel to others, while there is commonality, just like in a marathon there is a commonality, each race, however, is different. What God has for you is not what God has for me. And what is unique about this race 
is that we are not in competition with one another. Paul's not talking about being first. He's talking about completing the race. This isn't about how you compare to me or how I compare to you or how we compare to each other. This isn't about how you live your life and how I live my life and what are your priorities and what are my priorities. The issue is not about each other. The individual is about, the issue is about me, about you, about ourself. And what we need to ask ourselves is, how am I doing in the race that God has given me to, to complete? How am I doing? Okay. First of all, am I hanging in there? I shouldn't be surprised if it's a fight. I shouldn't be surprised if it's a struggle. I shouldn't be surprised if it isn't easy. Very few things in life that are worthwhile are easy. Very few things in life that have lasting reward and benefit are easy. We're talking about something with an eternal reward. We're talking about something with an eternal benefit. And it just isn't easy. It's hard. Paul said to Timothy, lay hold on eternal life. The idea is don't let it get away from you. For there are so many other things that are tugging at your coat. There are so many other desires that come from within, that come from without, that would dissuade us, that would get us off track, that would move us in the wrong direction. you got to fight the good fight. You have to be in there for the long haul to finish the course. And I'm looking at people, many of whom have been walking with the Lord for 30 years. 40 years. But the issue is not how long have you walked with the Lord. The issue is how long do you still have. It isn't about how well have you been running. The issue is will you have finished at the end? Will you have completed the task? Will you have done what God has called you to do? Not just simply is your life over. Everyone's life is going to come to an end. It's not about the end of one's life. It's the end of one's purpose in life. The end for which God has saved us. When it's all said and done, will we have completed the task... Will the baton be in our hand? And will we have run according to the rules? Will we be able to say, at the end of our lives, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I've kept the faith. Next week, and we'll be able to say, henceforth there is laid up for us a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give us at that day. 
not only to us, but unto all those that love his appearing. Let us keep running. Let's pray. Almighty God, help us this day, and I pray for your people that have gathered here this morning. You know the hearts, and you know your purpose and desire for each one, and I pray that you would reveal that clearly to each one who has gathered here this day. I pray that they would have real confidence in their own heart and mind as to the purpose that you have for their life, why it is that you have called them unto salvation. And they are diligently seeking to fulfill the purpose for which they have been saved. Lord, help us all to continue to to struggle, to continue to fight, not to grow weary, not to be distracted, not to be discouraged, not to be overwhelmed, not to be defeated by the evil one, not to be disillusioned. Lord, keep us from quitting. Help us to continue to fight. Lord, help us to finish the course, to really actually complete the purpose that you have given for us as we remain faithful to you. And Lord, help us to keep the faith, uh, to hold fast to that which we have been taught, to the truth that has been delivered to us, that truth that's described in the book of Jude as being once for all. Lord, uh, thank you for the truth that we have. And Lord, may we preserve that truth so it's handed on to the next generation. And that they, in turn, will hand it to still the next generation and the next and the next until you come. So, Lord, uh, renew us and refresh us. Give us delight in running this course. And, uh, Lord, uh, glorify your name through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.